I'm Daniel Gowerluck, and this is On Earth. On Earth is brought to you by the Pacific Museum of Earth. In this podcast, we aim to show what it's like to be an Earth, ocean, or atmospheric scientist. There's a lot of diversity under that umbrella, and not all of our scientists wear lab coats. Today on Earth, we're talking to... James Blumen. James, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Now, you are a geological researcher, right? In some ways, yes. I uh, work with the MDRU doing a research project. I also support a bunch of other projects. So in that regard, you could call me a technician or even a geological student when uh, when I'm in class. So many hats to wear. Um, but yeah, that would be appropriate at times. Excellent. And sorry for anyone who doesn't know, what does MDRU stand for? Yeah, that is the Mineral Deposits Research Unit. It is UBC's Economic Geology Research Lab. Okay, cool. Now, you touched on this already, but in this podcast, we try to meet people at various stages in their career. Uh, So what would you call yourself? Uh, Would you be a student, an academic, a teacher, researcher? Yeah, um, it's a question I've answered a few times over the past while because I've been doing a lot of collaboration as of late is I am a fourth year geological sciences student in part of UBC's co-op program. I'm doing a co-op term, potentially two, with the MDRU. With the MDRU, I've supported many projects there. And in addition, as of late, I've been given my own project, which is a collaborative project between the MDRU, UBC Earth and Ocean Sciences as a whole, and UBC Mining. So I've kind of got three advisors there, which uh, that would be one of the titles I'd give myself. Um, So student, researcher, um, arguably a hobbyist because I've got a bunch of rocks at home. And then educator is a loose term that I could maybe use. I run a lot of review sessions for students here. So peer, peer review supporter, that'd be a better way to describe it. But yeah, I help people. Excellent. Yeah, you recently borrowed some specimens from the collection for the uh, the student club, the Dawson Club here with one of their uh, mineral evenings. Yeah, well, that was a, a great opportunity, I think, because the Dawson Club was running a uh, show and tell session with rocks and I had happened to meet you the day prior to it. So it was really great to have this spontaneous collaboration between the undergraduate geology club, the Dawson club, as well as the PME, because we're all rock nerds in that regard. So it's good to have, um, everyone had their own samples that they had collected or maybe purchased. We went around the table and, uh, showed them off and said where we got them, what we liked about them, brief description. And then at the end of that, we all got to, um, get really excited about the fact that, um, there was a piece of meteorite there or, Um, just some really finely cut quartz that was gem quality. Um, it was, it was a lot of fun having a student and a friend of mine pull the rock to me and say, James, what's this thing? Is this a blob of quartz? And I said, well, no, that's actually a diamond. (laughs) So everyone enjoyed that. Great. I'm glad the specimens are getting used. 
but what is it about rocks and geology that excite you? Why do you go into this field? Yeah, it was really the integrated approach that got me into geology. I can remember in high school, as we all do, we go through the standard kind of science courses, at least in BC, the high school I was at, you learn just science is the course until grade 10. And then I remember taking earth and ocean sciences in grade 11, just to try it out. And uh, I remember when it first clicked for me, you see in common table salt or just the standard ionic pattern that you learn about um, NaCl or table salt, you will always have uh, a sodium atom surrounded by chlorines and the chlorines are surrounded by sodium. It'll form this perfect ionic matrices that is square in shape in 2D or in 3D. It's a perfect cube. When I learned that halite, the mineralogical equivalent of NaCl, always forms perfect cubes, it, it kind of blew my mind to see that microscopic, I should say, microscopic chemistry being extrapolated to a macroscopic scale. That, that was really exciting to me to learn the science and have something that I understood, but it then became tangible. So that was really cool for me. And then I've always found myself with a very general interest in everything. Um, love watching Jeopardy at home because I have a good little bit of depth in a lot of knowledge. And in some ways, geology is not wildly dissimilar. You can go from pulling from physics to chemistry to biology to then this integrated approach we call geology. There's logic, there's arguably interpretation, hard facts, and some of it's subjective. It's a really cool, generalized, integrated experience and um, educational tool and whatever else you want to call the science of geology. Um, yeah, no, it's it's fun to get to pull from different places. And now, uh, now the science is catching up where it is the next science to be tested the technology is there so that's where you see things like geochemistry coming into play and making those invisible particles in the rocks um, become more valuable like i have a friend right now from boston who loves pegmatites because there's a lot of pegmatites in boston which is just a large crystal deposit type and then i have a friend from greece who's doing research on carbonates and he's heavily relying on that geochemistry to um, try and find macroscopic gold or microscopic, I should say, gold or invisible gold. So it's really cool that within my undergraduate, I have a, a friend equivalent of the United Nations all brought together to this incredibly integrated approach to science. So that, that would be my selling point on that for that one. That hits on the key point of this podcast to explore the diversity of science and diversity of scientists in this field. Um, some of the top scientists that I've uh, interviewed have really talked about how they love the interdisciplinary aspects of um, earth, ocean, and atmospheric sciences. I love how you also talked about um, bringing in art and interpretation. Um, that's something we don't often think about with most sciences, that things are subjective sometimes. Oh, oh certainly. Like, uh it's secondhand information, but I was told once that 
early on, like early, early days of science, you actually had to take a few arts courses because to be able to reproduce these high quality diagrams for your academic research, you couldn't just say, oh, there was a fossil and it had a swirly shape on it. You actually had to be able to draw this specimen in incredible detail because there was no digital camera. There was no camera on your phone that's also a computer that can upload it to the internet. Like the science and tech have come very far. I'm at a point where I can make a 3D model of a rock quite quickly, but that option didn't always exist. So there's a lot of art involved and um, the students in mineralogy or who have taken it will definitely agree with the fact that color is highly subjective. Mm -hmm. What is pink to one individual might be salmon to another who a third person might say that's light crimson. So it's, it's very, um, I don't know, light crimson's a proper color term. Besides the point, <laughs> though, um, that even in that, I've made a potential mistake, but that's okay because it's subjective, and that's where the collaboration comes together, and you can have a kind of collective agreement. So it's it's a very democratic science in some ways. It's the geological version of, is this dress gold? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't think we've had that with minerals so to speak but some of them will show different colors depending on how the light is hitting it so try to describe a mineral like bismuth what color is it well right. it's the same as a gasoline stain on the road or some people might refer to that as unicorn pee every color of the rainbow so it's that's where you use the more hard science to say oh well, it forms perfect 90 degree angles when it's grown in the lab despite the fact that means it's not a mineral but Again, beside the point, it's uh, very interesting. To, it's just it's a collaboration-based science because it's new and up and coming, and uh, that's something that really excites me is the the progress that's being made through the fact that sometimes one plus one equals three, which can sound really uh, really unintuitive. But to say further on that, the sum total of the parts is not as great as all the parts working together. Like uh, Daniel and I working together on a, a podcast or just having a chat could mean a lot more than our ability to think about a topic independently, mm -hmm. which is, I really like that that's how the science is coming together as a whole. Excellent. Yeah, there definitely is a sense of collegiality amongst our students. We have some of the best students on campus, I think. Yeah, certainly. I usually like to ask about discoveries, um, but you're at the beginning of your career, uh, so I'm sure um, you haven't made any big discoveries for the community of science yet, but have you personally discovered anything uh, that was new to you and really made you sit up and take notice? Just to speak specifically to geology as a science and then UBC as well, um, it was really cool what surprised me anecdotally is um, you can get a mineral called muscovite. It's a white mica, primarily aluminum in it. And um, it, it used to be used to make oven windows because it's clear enough that you can see through it. And it also exists as a good insulator. I found it really cool to find out that mica is also, it's not a, there's no metal in it to extract. 
but it's this reflective mineral. So that's actually what's ground up and it's a primary use in society is a nail polish in glitter or um, the painted lines on the road. That's what, that's why they're reflective because they have ground up mica in the paint. Um, beyond that, uh, discovery at UBC, which was quite cool, is I came here for the reputation and then um, I'm sticking around for the people. It's really cool the fact that one of my professors is the guy who figured out why earthquakes occur in subduction zones or that class was co-taught by one of the leading experts on solving climate change while using ground up rock matter to naturally sequester carbon or like the the list is quite endless that's those are just two guys who taught me metamorphic petrology so it's it's quite dumbfounding the uh level of expertise here and the patience that goes along with it as well like these guys have set the standard for scientific rigor and then they're also willing to correct my spelling mistake on a test which is mind-boggling in itself and then I guess the last discovery to speak to on that question would be what I, to reiterate what I'd said earlier how new a science geology is when you crack open a geologic textbook that's a recent edition most things that you're reading are discoveries that have been cited post 2000 that is a bizarre thing to me and um something that blew my boyfriend's mind when i mentioned it to him um the fact that i'm reading a textbook and the textbook is about discoveries all of which have been made in my lifetime that is bizarre to think because i was born in 98 if everything's being cited post 2000s the information is less old than i am which I'm sure a lot of people are, who are listening are kind of maybe as baffled as, it, as other people are because a lot of that stuff, you're learning about things that happened in the 19, even 1800s. So it's really cool that it's, it's accelerating at this race or at this pace, I should say. And um, yeah, it's very up and coming. Every new discovery leads to another one, if not more. If you make a mistake, that's valid too, because we know which road not to go down on, or maybe we'll even go down that road in 20 years time when the technology gets better. So it's really cool to be part of a science that is just growing so quickly. And there's increasing room for new ideas and different perspectives because the collaboration is what really, in my opinion, makes this kind of science so special. I remember being a child and thinking that all the major signs had already been discovered. And if I were to go into science, you know, I'd only be working on the crumbs that were left behind by the previous scientific greats. But as an adult and working with the people who you mentioned um, are so impressive and yet so personable, I realized there's so much of the world that we're still learning about and fundamental things um, that we thought were were scientific gospel um, are being disproven or changed uh, by some of the scientific titans that we have living with us today. And there definitely is room for us to improve. And there are discoveries that young people can make even now. Yeah, no, it's, it's crazy to think that um, some of my friends like 
people from Europe who have had over to my place to experience their first North American Thanksgiving or other buddies of mine who um, are are studying the resources that we need in the future, lithium being one of the primary things for cell phone batteries. It's really cool to think that you're amongst the, the people who are going to be making the change that the world needs while also getting to refer to some of the world's leading scientists by their first name. Um, it, it's kind of crazy to think that some of these people who have been compared to Madame Curie or even potentially the Einsteins of their field, um, you get to call them by James or Dominique. It's uh, it's really crazy cool how personable it is and the mutual respect that goes back and forth between student and professor despite the uh, the knowledge gap. Everyone's looking to close the knowledge gap while also enabling those to go and figure out something new for themselves because it's earth science is definitely an integrated approach because it's all connected. It's um, different levels of connectedness, but you'd be foolish. And I, I don't have a huge amount of experience in atmospheric science, but geologists could talk to you about the volcano and volcano erupts and it shoots ash everywhere. And um, then I'm sure there's someone in atmospheric science who says, well, those ash particles make a great nuclei for clouds to form. You draw boundaries on things to put them into digestible boxes, but everything's related to everything. So the up and coming nature and the collaboration are just I can't get over how cool it is. You mentioned that example as a hypothetical, but we actually do have someone working on that exact problem. Yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> uh, even even within the, the tight-knit community of our department, some people are so busy changing the world that they don't know what's going on in the office next to them. And uh, that just shows how dedicated everyone is to their research. And then when someone comes along and connects the dots, it can be really beneficial because uh, two specialists together can be almost better than three specialists in some way. So it's, it's nice to connect people. Absolutely. Speaking of research, um, what are you researching or working on right now? You mentioned you're a, a research tech. Yeah. So primarily one of the biggest positions I'd done when I started at the MDRU is we're starting up a new research unit for carbonates. Um, given the fact that I was one of the students around over the summer because I didn't have a specific project, I was put in charge of running a lot of these carbonates through our carbon and isotope analyzer. That's something that I've been heavily involved in. And as I've been part of the project, we've found ways to improve it. So we've gone from um, pen and paper to digitizing later to a lot of online workflows that I've helped develop. That's quite exciting, just the idea that no time is being spent transitioning from paper to digital because we're saving resources not only in paper but in time. And then um, a project that I've started more recently is looking at enhancing dense mineral separation. Um, currently, if you have a rock and you want to pull specific indicator minerals out of it or uh, 
minerals that have specific geochronological information or just time data in them. If you have limited volume of rock, you will crush and mill the rock to just below the competency of the mineral you want. And then you need to go through and sieve and hand pluck with tweezers to pull the certain minerals you want out. Problem is that is prone to some level of human error as well as it's just extremely time consuming. Um, I have sound very fun. (laughs) No, I mean, (laughs) yeah, I have a, a friend who's a TA who's done it and I don't think they enjoyed that process. Bit of a necessary evil, if you will. Um, cause the other option is, um, if you have large volumes of rock, you can crush it all and float it over a shaking table with, uh, dense liquids, which allow the lighter stuff to float on the top and the heavier stuff to sit below the dense liquids. But when you say dense liquids, do you mean like molasses or? Yeah. Um, I believe one of them, uh, my friend Muhammad will get me if I get this wrong, but it's a methylene iodide, I think. Um, so they're they're liquids that hold heavy metal metal particles in them, which enables them to separate things due to their kind of intermediary density. In that, um, yeah, it allows you to float the light stuff off while having the heavier stuff go beneath. Um, trying to think of a good analogy for it but it's chemical when, gold panning yeah in a way gold panning but with uh something that's not something that's more dangerous than bleach so we don't want to continue that but it's a good process for volumetric processing but it's toxic and it also loses some of the grains to shaking they get abraded so i really like the idea that um through taking this project I kind of describe it as the kitchen sink project of um, right now we're establishing a baseline of here's a synthetic sample and then we're going to test it against traditional methods to determine the yield and then go forth with that. And um, once we have that established baseline, go and figure out a new way to attack it. Um, Something that you might call a blender when the casing is stripped away and spun in a different direction could make a good propeller or it might need some modifications. So we're looking at trying to improve old techniques and then we're not afraid to throw out old techniques and go back to the drawing board because uh, this technique comes from around World War II. So I think the technology exists to enhance it. So um, I really look forward to the idea that I can save friends of mine's time as well as well-being of not dealing with toxic chemicals and just put something together in a non-traditional way that can be beneficial to academia, industry, my friends, myself, and many people. It's, it's really fun to get to be able to collaborate with three supervisors on this while also potentially finding a way to solve more than one problem at once. It's it's a fun opportunity. Um, it's I don't know if it's rare to have it in your undergrad, but uh, most of my peers who we started out at UBC Earth Science uh, two or three years ago now, it, it's weird because four years doesn't sound like a lot of time. And when I started here, all the teaching assistants, I revered them as uh, 
these omnipotent beings who knew every answer to the test I was writing and they must know everything because they know what I don't. Um, now me and my friends are doing that and it's, it's weird to th acknowledge the progress that we've made while also realizing that um, no one knows the answer to everything. But if you're willing to go and try and figure it out, that's what that's what the professors here are doing who have got maybe 40 years of scientific rigor under their belts. They've got experience, but they don't know all the answers. They're just good at figuring them out because if we knew it already, we'd all just study the one book and be done with it. But that's not science. That's called studying. So it's cool to study the past well, enhance the future all at the same time. As a museum professional and a bit of a Luddite myself, uh, I usually go with the um, the phrase, the old ways are best, but uh, a process that's been used since World War II that involves heavy chemicals and uh, lots of tweezing, maybe it's time to retire it. <laughs> I, I urge you on. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Fingers crossed. I'm, I am slightly terrified of the idea that many better people have tried. Well, I'm not terrified of the idea of that. I'd actually be quite happy to take what they've tried and narrow further. I like the idea that, well, I know technology has come a long way since the 1940s. So who knows? Maybe with um, a good night's sleep, access to internet on a, a smartphone, and um, a bit of intuition and a bit of research, we might be able to find a way to improve something that is in my opinion being done suboptimally but that's that's to be determined so check back in with me on that later on wonderful now one of my favorite uh parts of the podcast has been hearing about people's field stories uh the field seems to be this magical place where things go wrong which are terribly frustrating for you and terribly entertaining to me <laughs> uh do you have any field stories that you'd care to share yeah it's uh they're certainly there. It's where do we begin? Um, I guess a good starting point would be my first summer job that I had in geology. Um, one of the perks to the pandemic, actually, uh, if you went to the geological conferences, which were online, um, if you're at a conference in person, you ask a question, you're a voice, which is good. However, if you ask the question online, the nature of online video calls, the speaker is put on everyone's screen. So by the time I got to my first job interview, my boss had seen me once or twice asking questions at uh, geological conferences that I'd gone to over reading break or just talks within UBC that we both happened to attend. So it, it was in a Zoom call with him that I didn't find out it was a job interview until after he had offered me the job. Um, he showed me the accommodation that I'd be provided with and I, I knew I was going to accept it at that point because I was paid to stay in a vacation cabin in one of the, the nicest hidden gems on earth up in Atlan. So the idea that I was getting paid to fly around in a helicopter and do some hiking, ATVing, drive a truck and collect some cool rocks and a bit of dirt while I was out there was really exciting to me. But it didn't come without its list of um, challenges, I guess you could say. Um, we had really nice weather, so we didn't have to deal with rain or unpleasant times in that regard. 
I do remember driving down one of the main roads in the area next to another mine that was in town. And this grizzly bear was sitting in the ditch on the side of the road eating dandelions. And then it saw us and kind of gave us a good look. It was standing its ground and it did not have any problem with this big white truck full of six individuals because it was hungry. But I've definitely been, I think I was even driving the truck at the time. I might have been, or maybe I was in shotgun. I'd have to check the video, but to be 20 feet away from a grizzly bear is a rather surreal experience. Um, to be in a helicopter that catches wind is surreal in other regards. Um, my default of enjoying rides at Playland kicked in, so as we started dropping, I, I thought it was kind of fun, but other members of my, the cabin definitely wished they'd packed two pairs of pants that day. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's bizarre. It's a it's a really great opportunity to go and get paid to hike around an area and look at some rocks that you'll definitely enjoy and um, maybe even be proud of finding, and and uh, yeah, just get to be outside and get paid for it. Um, get to fly around in a helicopter, drive an ATV, uh, drive past grizzly bears. Hopefully you don't have any um, predatory interactions with them and then get paid to climb to the top of a mountain and look for gold. That sounds like a video game to me, except it's better because you're doing it and you're getting paid. So... I can't encourage people enough to at least give it a try. It's it's an awful lot of fun, at least for me. Were you a Minecrafter as a kid? I can't say I was. I I grew up in a house that had dial-up internet well into the early 2000s. So Minecraft, well, it sounded like fun. We, uh, I think it was uh, when I was in grade seven, so maybe even 2012 or around there, we had... Um, or uh, my parents will get mad if I get the year wrong, but early in my childhood, you could not be on the telephone when, or you couldn't be on the computer when someone was on the telephone. And I'm sure there's listeners right now who think that sounds absolutely absurd. And then there are those who relate to it. And then there are those who are like, oh, I think I've heard about it. But even hearing myself say it, it, it sounds like something your grandpa would say of, Back in my day, you could buy a dollar for a nickel. Um, <laughs> you used to not be able to be on the internet when someone was on the telephone. So ask your parents about it if you don't believe me. They'll they'll smile and nod and remember the days of the computer singing the song of its people uh, to connect to the <laughs> internet. It was terrifying. I'd recommend looking it up. Or just ask your TAs. <laughs> yeah, even the TAs. That's yeah. It's it's a bizarre thought to think that um, everyone had a similar experience to you. Well, not the same, slightly different. Most of us born before 2000 know what Blockbuster was, but we also know how to use Netflix. But uh, I've got a brother who's 13. He has never not known what the PBR is um, to be able to record shows. Netflix has always been a part of his life. And if you look at the smartphone, um, 
I'd question if he knows why the phone icon looks like a bar with two knobs at the end of it. Because as far as he knows, a phone has always been a touchscreen that's a rectangle. So it uh, shows how much progress technology has made in the past. And then I'll give you guys a hint. Um, we don't grow cell phones on a farm. We make them in a factory, but the factory needs metal and metal comes from geology. So it's if you like technology, you got to like geology because uh, there's only so much metal that's going around. And unfortunately, to uh, quote my supervisor, Sean Barker, uh, we need more lithium. I believe we actually, I'm pretty sure it's accurate to say that it's less environmentally friendly to try and recycle the lithium we have than to mine new lithium because it's just too new of a metal for us to recycle it efficiently. We burn more fossil fuels trying to recycle it than we do pulling new lithium out of the earth. Oh. So while nobody likes the idea of, a lot of people don't like the idea of mining, but it's it's a tough sell to say you want new and improved technology while um, not not being willing to tolerate it where it comes from. I think that's a, a shortcoming of kind of the abstraction of our life. If you ask people where apples come from, they'll say the grocery store. They don't just spawn at the grocery store like they might in Minecraft. Um, they come from a farm. So in the same way that anything that is metal-based came from a mountain somewhere. So obviously we can recycle copper and everything. But uh, other things that we need, we saw that shortcoming during the pandemic when you could not get a certain truck type. There are millions of them set up completely fabricated, but the the computer chips to make them work were not able to be produced because we'd used up a lot of the metal to produce them and they could not be produced fast enough. And I don't know if that was a manufacturing defect or a supply of the simple materials defect, but let's let's have our factories be the limiting step, not the access to resources. Because if we all wake up in 10 years time and say, yep, yeah, now we're okay with more metal coming, it's going to take 10 to 20 years to find it and start refining it. So the, uh, the anti, anti-mining mindset is a difficult one to say the least because uh, the pipeline to initiate metal from exploration to extraction is I'm pretty comfortable guessing that it's at least 20 years. So if you, we run out of metal and in, in your twenties, you say, man, we, we got to get back to mining. We might have that metal by the time you're 40. I don't think people like the idea that the iPhone 14 just came out. We'll probably get to 15 or 16, but I don't think any of us want to wait 10 years to get the 17. So, um, people don't want to wait 10 months. <laughs> no, I know. I mean, I, I have a more recent iPhone, which I got for a third of the price just because there was a new one coming down the pipe in a couple of weeks. Um, it's great to enjoy technology and be fascinated with new things, but it does not come without a cost. The uh, exploration and extraction of metals, because like I say, to, pe- people have always said, well, let's just recycle it, but that's going to do more pollution than it is good. So I, I think that that's where 
in geology, it's an awesome opportunity to educate and enable people to become aware of it because I think we've got to find this this balance of give and take because unfortunately you can't house someone without having the resources to build them the house. And I think a lot of people would agree that being outside year round in the rain is not fun. Um, so you got to have the resources to be able to mobilize for that. Uh, there's obviously far, far more complex than just more mining to solve the homelessness problem. There's legislative fluff, but we don't want to have our access to resources be limiting. We want our creativity and problem solving to be the limiting factor. The environmental ethics of mining, um, the more I learn about it, are incredibly nuanced and complex. You're clearly very passionate about many aspects of geology. Uh, what would you say is the best part of geology? As for myself, um, growing up, I was not an individual who had a huge heap of friends or actually would have described myself as an introvert growing up. As I found a sense of community in geology, it's certainly the collaboration that um, draws me in the most. It's something that I've definitely touched on prior in this interview, but the the idea that communication between people can lead to a far better future is really important to me. And then even just geology as a whole, being an integrated science, the biologists, chemists, and physicists all had talked to each other at some point. So it, it's really cool to see this community that is uh, to, to shout out to the atmospheric scientists on this one, taking the world by storm, so <laughs> to speak. Um, it, it's a really cool thing to see just this collaboration at micro and macro scales. Um, and it's a, it's a nice community to be part of when, like I said, you're referring to some of the best scientists by their first name and it does really show that your reputation will precede you because if you don't know someone, you know someone who will know you. A quick anecdote on that was um, the MDRU was running a porphyry short course recently. And uh, I met this individual who is attending the event. And I, I looked at him. I went, man, I've seen you before. And I knew his name was Christopher, but I got his last name wrong because I'd met a different Christopher oh. who looked reasonably similar in passing to this individual. And then it was the next morning I was sitting there having my breakfast and it dawned on me how I'd seen him before. And so I went to my business card book and sure enough, he was on page one of that. He taught me seven or eight years ago at one of the biggest geology conferences in the world. I got to go visit it in high school when I was in grade 11. My high school teacher took us there to encourage us to be part of it, part of the minerals ed program, which uh, was quite cool to get to have a backdoor view of that at such an early age. And he gave me, he gave me his business card at that event and taught me how to accept someone's business card. And then Seven years later, I was able to offer him back, as he's a full-blown industry member now, learning about how to better uh, extract the resources in a more responsible and safe way. Um, 
I was able to give him the the card from his undergrad from when I was back in high school. And now there's a slim but potential chance that the research I'm doing in my undergrad could enable his uh, exploration to go a lot better too. So it's it's the world is so small in some regards. Um, some people might not like that idea. I really like collaboration. So the idea that it's all accessible is really cool to me. And just uh, you got to be nice to everyone, not only because if you don't know who you're talking to, someone who knows you knows who you're talking to. And it also just costs zero dollars to be nice. And it ultimately pays the most tremendous dividends when, uh, what was I? I think I met you on Wednesday, Daniel. And now you've helped me out. You showed me some cool rocks day of. And then the day after, I was able to help show students who go to UBC what the museum has to offer. And now... You're helping me out. Yeah. 48 hours later, I get to talk about something I'm passionate about. And I'm really enjoying the interview. So it's crazy to think that has happened within less than three days. Um, But that's the pace that the science is moving at. So it's, it's pretty cool, I'd say. Get on board if you're not already. And a lot of people join geology after trying something else and coming to it. We welcome those external perspectives. But I've heard it enough times of, oh, I tried geology in my first year. And I really liked it, but that was it. I went on and pursued the degree that I had intended to go to university for. And then two or three years later, those individuals come back to geology because you realize that time is precious and there's no point in doing something that you don't enjoy because you've got, what, 80 years, give or take on this earth. Why would you bother doing something that you don't love because there's there's got to be enough people who love doing the right things that it's going to work out. That probably sounds rather preachy and optimistic, but I, I picked geology just because I, I kept trying different things and I just ended up doing what I enjoyed. And um, now it's paying tremendous dividends. It's it's really easy to do good work when you enjoy what you're doing. Um, put it this way. I don't think Steve Jobs or Bill Gates hated computers. I find that really <laughs> hard to believe. Or I don't think Elon Musk dislikes Tesla. You got to like what you do because it's way easier to excel at things that you enjoy. So um, do what you want to do. Live your life. That, of course, comes with a huge... Um caveat that when many of our grads, uh, grad students come here, there's so many opportunities and they're so excited that sometimes they're like a brand new puppy, um, you know, jumping off in this direction and then coming back and going off in another direction. And everything seems so good and exciting that they can't choose. Um, and that's something you have to <laughs> be prepared for. You oh, have yeah. to say no sometimes to it excellence. Certainly. Like, um, I'm not saying, um, jump straight on board either. If you need your time, please do. Like I went to a smaller university for two years, actually at Capilano university. I learned some really valuable things there. Um, when there's only 30 people in a class, 
and there's only 20 people going to a, a talk, you actually get to interact with the speaker and professor on a really personable level. So that was great. I also got to spend half a year in New Zealand um, with the rugby club that I was a part of. They sent me over there and I got to make a lot of friends on that side of the world and see my family because my dad is from New Zealand. So that was a really great experience. I certainly would not sacrifice either of those two things to be further ahead in geology. Oh, I could be two years into working by now. That's not what I'm saying at all. Um, honestly, the, the indirect path may be the better path for the geologist because you can take these things that you've learned and then further integrate them into the science. I was a really great soil sampler, which for those who don't know, you basically follow uh, GPS coordinates that are in this grid over an area and you can detect trace amounts of uh, precious metals or indicators of where there might be something of value. Primarily gold is what we were working on in the project I was a part of. I was really good at soil sampling because I'd spent four or five years prior and summers on the business end of a shovel. The fact that I was a landscaper enabled me to dig holes so quickly that I actually got to go and do a bit of prospecting or looking at the rocks around the area. And um, at the end of the summer, I had a full bag of rocks that my boss had deemed worthwhile sending off to get tested for gold, wow. despite the fact that I was hired for uh, just to dig holes. Well, I wasn't hired just to do that. I got to do both jobs, but they put me in the job that I excelled at and I was quite happy. That was a very unexpected benefit. If you told me, James, if you worked landscaping for five summers, you will be able to find some gold indicator minerals in your first summer job. That makes no sense. <laughs> but uh, yeah, do what you love. If you don't know what you love, just do something, try things out and trust the process because it's, it's going to come in handy. And uh the integration of new ideas and different experiences is what makes this science such a great community. And that's what progress comes from is from conversation. You never know when some of that previous experience is going to be called upon in the future. Yeah, no, certainly not. Um, I made a friend on uh, what was, I think it was Thursday night or no Wednesday night. I should say I met this person at an event and a few hours later, we went out and we had dinner together and I really look forward to working with them in the future. It's a crazy idea that um, like as someone who identifies as a man, I don't have incredible experience in, uh, in electrical. That's not what my father does. So he, he wasn't teaching me all these tricks, but uh, their father taught them how to change a tire and fix an engine and do the electrical. So I might be learning that from an unexpected source and I really welcome it. It's it's a very cool idea that we all have different strengths and we should all, well, not should, we can play to each other's strengths because uh, to, if you, I, it hasn't been, it's been debunked that it was attributed to Einstein, I believe, but there's a quote by someone, apparently not Einstein, that if you judge a fish by its ability to climb trees, It'll spend its whole life thinking it's stupid. Um, so if you're a fish trying to climb trees, I suggest you come to geology and start licking rocks because <laughs> some of them taste different and that's an identifying trait. But 
your teachers and teaching assistants will tell you which ones to lick because there are some that are forbidden to lick. And uh, yeah, hopefully you lick the right ones. There are many that are forbidden to lick. Yes, more more forbidden to lick than not. However, I mean, you you may be able to lick a piece of quartz. It will do nothing other than allow you to taste nothing. Nothing good or bad will happen. You will just have had quartz on your tongue. If that is an experience of value to you, I get. I can't say I recommend or uh, condone that action. But uh, yeah, if you're yeah, I'll leave that one as it is to not step over any boundaries. Now, your your advice was um, do what makes you happy, and yeah. this clearly makes you happy. Uh, but even a dream job can have some uh, less than ex- uh, thrilling elements. What would you say is the most difficult uh, part of your work? Yeah, I think um, one of my favorite things about geology is the rapid change it's undergoing. Um, change can be difficult. Um, I, I've personally experienced a lot of change in my life recently. Um, it can be really beneficial to have a lot going on and change is really good for someone who's not enjoying the environment they were in. Change might not be super welcome if like if you've just unpacked and you got to the airport or you've gotten to your hotel from the airport and it's finally time to stop. Not many people get excited by the idea that the bellhop comes to the hotel room and says, actually, you're in the wrong room. You got to pack up all your stuff again and move. Um, that is part of science and is something that we're learning. Um, there's the idea of the sunk cost fallacy, which basically means if you put time and effort into something, it's worthwhile continuing to do. I'm not saying that that applies to everything in geology, but with rapid change requires dynamic and pivotal movements. And at times it can be rather exhausting, but it can also be rather exciting. So um, I wouldn't say that that's a shortcoming of the science, more so just a nature of rapid evolution. It does require um, a willingness to change step one. And then, um, also just, it, it will sometimes ask more of you that you might be capable of. So you may have to turn down potentially great opportunities. Uh, I got offered a thesis in my third year, which sounded great because all my friends were picking up these research opportunities. And I was, uh, I was really excited by the idea that that was happening. Turns out I needed shoulder surgery from a spill I had had the summer prior. That was a really tough thing to say no to. So change might be difficult. You may not always like the change. You may have to say no to seemingly great opportunities for self-preservation or personal reasons. Um, It's unfortunate to feel as though you're missing out on something. That could be difficult, but... I, I thought, oh man, I'm missing out. I had my dream job set up for this summer and then I ended up landing at this different position and it's been incredibly promising because last year I was struggling with some of the technology that there were definitely times when I asked my sister, oh, how do I, how do, I do this simple task on a word or a 
change it to a PDF or open a, change this slide in the PowerPoint. Um, it wasn't something that I couldn't do. It was the support that I was more asking for. But having spent a lot of time in the lab and office space, I've been able to re-up on my tech skills and automation has become a new passion of mine. So I'd say the it requires a lot of effort, but it's ultimately worth it. But like I say, change can be challenging for some. Personal and professional dexterity are certainly uh, skills that are often undervalued, I find. Yeah, I'd agree. A way I'd look at it um, is you, you don't want to be rigid because you're you're prone to failure it, like in a, a mineral or a, a material competency thing. Um, a plate of steel does not make a very good trampoline because it has no give. Um, but paper towels don't either because uh, you'll, they have so much give that you will go straight through them. So a mindset that I've kind of adopted not too far as of late with a lot of changes going on in my life is bend, don't break. Mm -hmm. Be able to adapt to the change while also not letting things change more than you would like. It's important to be able to accommodate those around you while also being able to stand up for what you believe is right. So it's a very interesting and it's, it's a dynamic process. So that's where static medium or static approaches to a dynamic process while potentially easier um they have their shortcomings at times so if if you're looking at getting into geology i'd say it's it's a great thing to get into um buckle up and get ready for the ride because it will be as as wild as you're willing to let it be and um that 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 rapid change can definitely enable a lot of new ideas, which could be quite fun. So I, I look forward to the change that's occurred in my life and what it will enable in the future. But it, it didn't come without a substantial amount of effort just to get to a place of stability with all this change too. One of the changes that's coming to the field is that we're seeing more diverse voices um, being heard. Um, do you identify as belonging to any underrepresented communities? And if so, has that impacted your studies or your career? Yeah, I, it's interesting to say so. I, I actually wouldn't know that they're underrepresented in their entirety. I guess they're underrepresented in maybe the visibility of them. I'd say I belong to two groups that are more niche but they definitely exist. They might just not be being talked about. So I'm dyslexic. So that is something that is rather invisible. Um, I had no idea that a peer of mine, he, he self-identifies as having ADHD. And a lot of people would see that as extremely limiting. Um, so whether it's limiting or it's just a deviation from the norm, uh, to paraphrase him, he's like, yeah, I don't know if it's the ADHD or not, but I'm really good at making a presentation two hours before I present it. That sounds like maybe a, a nightmare to someone with anxiety, but uh, not to say that I fit into that category, 
but um it's definitely easy to say oh man you you're bad at focusing that's not good no one there's there's the idea that multitasking may not exist but uh task switching certainly exists so the ability to switch tasks without paying tremendous startup costs could arguably be described as ADHD. It's just um, neurodivergence doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. Um, Yeah, it's so I don't know that they're underrepresented. They may just be less visible. I think the science is incoming increasingly more collaborative I do notice there is a certain demographic that's overrepresented in it. Not to say that 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 demographic is all the same either. There might be a lot of invisible niches there, but uh, it, there's also other other categories that people fit in that are underrepresented here. So I look forward to a future where it just becomes more collaborative, and as the science grows, it'll enable more people to be involved in that regard so yeah it's it's cool to see the collaboration of many different ideas it's also good to see the upside in being different oh certainly that's um if you look at history uh the people who kind of made technological or yeah technological revolutions are those who didn't follow the trend um change is typically made by those who want to see a better future. So just because there's maybe a community that you don't necessarily fit into right now, that's not necessarily, that's certainly unfortunate. Um, There's certain groups that I don't always feel that I belong to in their entirety. Um, But because there's other people who feel that way, we're forming a community in that regard. A lot of people who I've met, in some regards, they may refer to themselves as misfits, but uh, you can you can put a bunch of independent people together and have this collaboration occur on an even bigger scale. So there's definitely some peers of mine that I see right now who um, might not fit into the standard mold. And because of that, I, I feel as though I may be seeing them Oh, I feel as though they'll be very accomplished in their field because they're not willing to follow the beaten path. These people are going to be trailblazers or bring new and creative ideas. So if the people are interested, I could see someone who I met recently running a company or being in a high-level management. I can see another one of the, my friends who have kind of been helping mentor. They're 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 wonderful and terrifying at the same time because they've... They got their first geology job before they had even done their geolog- geological education at UBC. So I want to help them as much as I can, but I also fear that if I help them and tell them all my secrets, they'll surpass me immediately. <laughs> so uh, they're not a not a bad person to meet, but I'd say that in some regards, they're maybe feeling like they're trying to feel out their community as well. So there are those who fit in and those who on some scale maybe don't but those people tend to create the communities and establish spaces for those who um are looking for community you tend to find each other it's just um might require a 
bit more effort in the short term, but I can confidently say that it'll have a very grand payoff once you get to your first destination, at least, so to speak. And what's the other community you belong to? Yeah, so something that I've recently found about myself is that I'm less than straight. It was not something that I was super comfortable discussing as I've been part of some communities that are rather niche and tight knit. And there's certain members in those communities that are on the the lesser end of tolerance, so to speak. I think hate is, especially amongst person to person, is a it's useful in some regards, but I think it's overused in a lot of ways. There's a lot of energy wasted on uh, hate, but it's a very simple emotion. Especially it, these days. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that um, hate is promoted, but it's also it's an ever-expiring thing. Hate towards groups can exist, but eventually those that... Uh, that feel that way will pass on and there's further and better iterations. There's a firm idea that um, different perspectives allow for greater collaboration. So I really could not care about the casing that the person comes in. Um, They've got good ideas. I'm going to be really interested in talking to them. And if somebody has a problem with me because of my shell, that sounds like a well an unfortunate it sounds like an unfortunate situation for that individual and i i hope they're able to find the support that they may be in need of because i mean it's a very old adage of don't judge a book by its cover you can never please everyone but that's such is life that's what kind of draws back to what i said earlier do what you love and you'll you'll find opportunities to do great work Um, don't waste your energy on hate because in my experience, love wins. One thing I think we can all agree we can hate has been the pandemic. Um, how or did, um, COVID impact your studies? Yeah. So even, even on that one, I find myself an interesting individual because, uh, I actually found some ways that the pandemic catered well to me. Um, as someone who would describe themselves as an extrovert now, it, it was harder for me to an extrovert with a literacy deficiency, um, sending an email to a professor to be able to ask questions or set up office hours was not something I was a huge fan of. I like some professors here who you can just drop in if the door is open, you can give them a knock and they're ha- quite happy to chat. And if they're busy, you can schedule a time later. So that that was a bit difficult for me. Um, the bigger one that I struggled with, at least initially, was um, class ends here and you'll typically walk to your next class with your peers or you go and get lunch or there's some level of uh, social interaction. When the class ended, it was really tough for me that professors said, all right, that's class, no questions, homework's due on Tuesday. And then the screen went black. That that was really tough to lack community in that regard. Um, I found that very difficult. I found support difficult to find. So there were definitely some shortcomings in that regard. Um, on the other side of it, 
it really kind of opened up the space because uh, I wasn't commuting out to UBC. I was saving on the the fossil fuel consumption in that regard, saving time on commuting. And uh, it was actually at an event hosted by the geology club out at SFU. They would have a job fair each reading break. And I went to a post-social over Zoom, which is where I met a friend of mine, Sophia, at UVic Geology. And um, I'd never met this individual, but we had chatted over Instagram for about two years. And then this past summer, we did a merch exchange. So I've got a whole bunch of UVic Geology stuff at my apartment and my parents' house, which is just so cool that that definitely wouldn't have existed without the pandemic because the likelihood of that individual crossing a water boundary and then finding a place to stay all to go to a job fair post-social, even if they went to the job fair, they'd probably need to catch transit to catch the boat, to catch the SkyTrain and iterate on that one. They might not have stuck around for the post-social. So the fact that it kind of brought a community together from further places geographically was quite cool. And then, like I said, with my first uh, summer job, um, all the interviews I was going to, people had already seen my face. And then uh, I remember taking mineral deposits at UBC uh, last fall and uh, we were all waiting outside the classroom for the first class and an individual approached me and he said, you're the guy. I said, what do you mean? He said, no, you're the guy. I've watched you do school for the past year. You always had your camera on on Zoom. Um, so I, I didn't really intend that, but there certainly were classes where it was the professors and the teaching assistants and myself. I remember a friend of mine actually used to, we'd play Zoom chicken to see who could keep their camera on the longest. And we weren't doing anything inappropriate, but... uh we we just like as soon as the professor turned their camera on, so would we. So we really found that um, the social connection through seeing each other's faces. And I had people almost asking for my autograph a year after COVID. So in some strange way, I gained some minority celebrity status in that regard. And that's actually how I made some of my better friends too, or people who I'd go and work on stuff in a Discord chat room or one class I had had recurring breakout rooms. Um, so even in that, I found some special relationships just seeing the same people each week, which maybe breakout rooms wouldn't have occurred um, that it, you don't have a breakout room in, in person. So uh, well, you lost some community, you found others. It's balancing act as is life. So it, it wasn't great pros and cons to all of it. I think um, we're better for it. We couldn't have, if we couldn't have necessarily avoided it in my knowledge, but uh, it's, it's taught us some great skills. I have a professor now who does all his lectures in person and online. So the other day when I was kind of pretty tired, uh, I might've got to do something that lent itself a lot better to self-recovery rather than attending class. I'm just able to go and watch that recording this weekend. And I definitely valued the experience that I had outside of class to practice a bit of self-care. And I don't think we'd be recording lectures as we are right now if the pandemic had not taught us how to use that technology. So, That's a great way to um, 
pluck some gold out of a less valuable rock, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> to see exactly. the, the gold lining in a quartzite. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, you might be able to. Uh, my geological metaphor was falling apart right before yeah, my Yeah, I know. That's, that's all right. Now, you clearly love what you do. Uh, what would you say was the course that set you on to geology? Yeah, well, uh, th- there's been a few of them. Um, I had the privilege of being able to start early and uh, do it in high school. So my earth science and geology teacher at Argyle Secondary. Uh, Heather Reed was of great support there. Um, so that that's where I got started on it. Then um, if I'm thinking to Capilano University, there are a handful of professors there who, well, they didn't have any geology courses. They had physical geography, and some of those courses taught chunks about minerals. So um, I think Chris McGratham would be one of them that comes to mind. Um, that was really cool to have had arguably four years experience in geology before starting my degree here at UBC. That made uh, the pivot to online mineralogy, which certainly had its shortcomings. I was able to supplement those by having at least having a very brief background. Um, if it would come to courses at UBC two courses that I hold very near and dear and arguably what the UBC geology program is, is known for at least amongst the industry members who look at a resume would be uh, the mineral deposits course and the field techniques course both run in coordination between James Goats and Ken Hickey. Uh, Both courses put you through the ringer but I'd like to believe that you come out better for it. They've designed the courses in a way that I view geology and why it's so special in that it's extremely integrated. They require you to pull on pretty much everything that you have been taught prior in your degree in both courses, um, or at least the, the core courses. They aren't testing you on niche stuff that you may or may not have needed to learn, but they get you to look at geology in this holistic approach, which I think is really important in the way that we look at things. Because you you can use labels to understand complex constructs. As soon as you understand the construct beyond the label, the label falls away in its value to you and your understanding, but it enables you to explain it to the next person in a simplistic way. Um, so geology is kind of followed biology's model of this compartmentalizing of this complex world. I think we as humans compartmentalize things to make sense of the wild complexity and disorder that exists in our world. But to think that these fabricated boxes are what can define us is while good in short term for understanding can be extremely limiting beyond that. So they really get you to pull, pull in everything because a lot of people have this habit of saying, okay, I finished the course. I'll dump that information from my brain, write the last final and I'll empty the tank on all that information. That's something that I would 
discourage people to do, at least based on my experience, since I've gotten to UBC, I really tried to understand why something is the way it is, not what it is. Um, Cause really easy to forget what, why is more complex, but that's why I can remember things from three, four years ago when I started at UBC because uh, my brain holds on to why a lot better than it does what. So yeah, mineral deposits was a great course because you pull everything into the concept, the excuse me, the concept and the understanding of each deposit type. And then field techniques uh, was a really great course. Um, it chewed us all up and spat us all out, but every time something crumbles, you tend to build it back better. So it was really good to apply all the geology outside of the classroom in a very hands-on way. And um, it, let, it really lets you test your skills. I liked how um, it let you do something difficult in a safe environment that enabled um, limited risk-taking, but there was, there was support if things didn't work out um, to do something dangerously in a safe way or it's not even dangerous but new um that's the ideal situation of uh mentorship in my mind because every parent doesn't like their kids going up or down the stairs for the first time but unless you're going to give them a portable elevator for the rest of their life it may not exist obviously there are those who have difficulties with stairs in that regard. So that's more of a metaphor than anything. But I really liked how we were able to take the sum total of our education and say, here's what you know, go and try it out. That didn't work. Why didn't it work? If you can figure it out, how are you going to solve it? Sounds like a good idea. Test it. Let's see how it goes. Doesn't work. Maybe we can give you a nudge in the right direction. So just to to take all your prior knowledge and integrate it and test it with support was really valuable to me, um, especially the experiential and uh, outside of the classroom learning because as we all like looking at rocks in a museum, they, uh, they don't naturally occur here either. Uh, they've got to get to us somehow. So understanding um, the complexity of the systems that produce these specimens as well as the uh, the the triumph it was to get them here. It was not always sunny when we were trying to map in the field, but that made the fact that we finished our maps even more impressive. So the adversity, while short-term, was difficult, it, it in, in my mind, catalyzed a, a greater success overall. So... Now, I'm curious, you're at the very beginning of your career, uh, and you'll hopefully have a long career ahead of you. What would you like to have as your uh, professional legacy when you eventually retire? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting question. Um, it's one I got asked at a networking event recently. It's a very big question, so I tend to start by giving a big answer. If you really want to back it out, what do you want with life? I want to leave the world better than I found it. Um, if we're applying it specifically to geology, I really like the idea that the project I'm working on right now could 
enable academics to do research at a more cost-effective point. It could also enable um, one of the direct and obvious applications um, would be better better processing or could help um, with porphyry deposits and their indicator minerals. The porphyry deposits are known for having copper, gold, and molybdenum. Obviously, copper is omnipresent in our life and gold while luxury in some ways is also necessary for circuit boards, so it's a critical metal in some regards. So we're going to need gold in at least uh, trace amounts to continue to produce technology. And then uh, molybdenum is one of the, the lesser known superheroes, so to speak. It's a steel hardener. So most most metal that you see, stainless steel, all has molybdenum in it because it allows the steel to... Well, become harder and more useful in that regard. It, I, I don't know enough about how it works, so I won't pretend to. But uh, I do know that it's become increasingly valuable as we produced a lot of stainless steel during the pandemic. We were all living at home. Um, the idea of having a nicer looking house because that's where you spend all your time did not evade most people. You wanted to re-up your garden. There's stainless steel and the shears and uh, tools that people were using to improve your exterior to your home. Also in your kitchen, um, most knives are stainless steel. You don't see too many people using uh, golden butter knives because it's it would be a waste and also just a, a bad knife because it would dull quite quickly. So um, yeah, it, I really like the idea that well, uh, while all my friends are specializing in specific deposit types, whether they be carbonates, pegmatites, porphyry, copper, um, I like the idea of specializing in a very broad sense. Um, the work I've kind of naturally found myself with the freedom work and life has provided me with is um, I've taken on a role with the Canadian mineralogist as a... Uh, scientific media promoter, so to speak. So arguably marketing and communication are one thing that I'm learning to do. And then my specializations at the MDRU, I would lean towards, say, workflow development, method development and improvement, and technology as a whole. Um, I don't like doing repetitive tasks. And when I do them too many times, I get bored. So I end up trying to find a way to make the computer do it for me because I can't make that error. I'd like to believe that um, my research could not only enhance um, the way that we do things, it could enable further exploration and further academic research by removing cost barriers and uh, just just helping people out. Um, Contributing to the family of science. Yeah, well, I mean, we we invented the submarine in wartime because we wanted to shoot down the enemy. I don't think we're necessarily in that case with my research, but now marine biologists love to use it. Um, there's an expectation that this research may be able to fund be funded by industry, which can find a way to um, better extract resources with it. And I like the idea that academics will be able to further their research with it as well, because uh, it'll, it can help or potentially can help with uh, age dating and absolute age dating by Zircon. So I like the idea that it could uh, 
help out a few different groups. The way I see interactions in Toll, um, there's the win, win, win plus, and then as you go down, there's the win, win, win compromise, and then you start getting into win loss. Um, I always shoot for the as many wins as possible. So the idea that um, the academics could get some better resources from this, as well as industry could benefit. And uh, I'll have to admit, I'd find some personal fulfillment in it. So that's at least three wins. Um, you never know. It could could get to the point that it could have far-reaching consequences. You throw a rock in a pool of steady water, you could create pleasant ripples or you could create waves. Um, I like the idea that the consequences of my actions could have potential positive benefits beyond what are even conceptualized to me. But uh project is still in uh testing phase. So I might be getting well ahead of myself, but uh, uh to quote to quote a friend of mine from um I actually met in kindergarten. It was in a in a locker room during one of our high school football games. He said uh shoot for the moon and you might land amongst the stars. So who knows? I think ambition's good, but perspective can help keep it in check. But uh, it's good to have something to work towards, in my opinion. That's an admirable goal. Oh, thank you. Now, um, for my final question, you kind of touched on this earlier, uh, but where do you see your field going in the future? The world is changing at lightning speed in every way. And many people who are retiring say that they don't recognize their field um, from the one that they entered. Um, so yeah, what changes do you see coming to geology and what advice do you have for young people to anticipate some of these changes? Oh man, that's, that's a really interesting question and I'll, I'll probably have to give some greater thought to it beyond the length of this interview, but immediate ones that pop into mind of, I've touched on it earlier Technology requires metal. Metal comes from geologists and their ability to find it. Engineers, geological engineers' ability to design uh, safe buildings of mines and then mining engineers being able to extract it. So that's that's a big one that I could see um, the change coming from and uh, new methods and new techniques being developed to enable that further advancement of technology and then um, also solving old issues. Um, like I said earlier, there's some colleagues of mine and people who I'd refer to as limited friends, but I like the idea to think of them as friends because they're what they're doing. I, I share a lab space with people who are working on solving climate change right now. The idea um, is really exciting to me that one of my former professors and former classmates even, and someone I was supposed to share a job with, but didn't end up happening due to uh, unforeseen circumstances. And I was able to actually direct my friend to that position and they were able to get hired. So that was perk in and of itself. But uh, the idea that um, obviously we see kind of some disaster on the horizon with climate change, um, that's going to take an incredibly integrated approach and Geology and earth science as a whole is going to uh, at least play some level of uh, involvement in that. 
obviously there's legislation and policy making, funding, all these things that go beyond the uh the geologist's perspective, but scientists typically come up with solutions, engineers find a way to implement it, policy makers invent the rules around it and the uh investors find a way to make it happen. So there's integration amongst geology and then your ability to integrate that geology and earth science beyond uh, beyond the discipline to the, the better benefit of mankind is also a really exciting idea. So just the fact that there's so much rapid change happening in uh, geology is very exciting. Um, potential is arguably limitless. It's limited by access to resources or even better yet the uh the creativity of the individuals so yeah i'd I'd say geology is pretty up and coming it's made some some pretty big pretty big discoveries as of late but uh it's cool to see a science that's growing as fast as it can and the, the possibilities are quite frankly endless on that regard yeah geology is often uh had a, a bad reputation when it comes to climate change. But as you pointed yeah. out, and many others have pointed out as well, it is going to be a key player if we're going to stop or even reverse um, this uh, coming catastrophe. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. Um, and that I think it's good that people have some some healthy skepticism about the mining industry because there are certainly have been some catastrophic things in the past and um it's uh it's a tricky one being able to convince people that potentially what you're offering is a good solution but uh it's it's not always a welcome one um yeah so that that's where even if the geologists we want to be able to communicate our research better you can also enlist those who have um better communication skills. Like I said earlier, some people like geology because they don't like people. They like living in a tent and uh, rocks don't argue. They just simply are. I think uh, nothing in this world really is good or bad. It's a matter of perception. So I'd say the the perception of mining at the moment is kind of these these big smokestacks pulling down mountains and ripping the resources out of the earth for the betterment of uh someone's pocket mm-hmm. well well that may have been true i don't know that, that is necessarily the case for all people um in earth science in general a lot of people have a motivation to uh solve problems and figure out secrets of the world in front of them um just because something was uh Less than uh, optimally treated potentially in the past, arguably could have been done because people didn't know any better and you can get into the morality of decision making based on lack of information, who should have done what. Um, You can't change the past, but you can definitely look to learn from it and pivot towards a better future. So I think the fact that this podcast exists and the the departments at UBC, they're doing the research. Education is really a big key and uh, sharing ideas and common motivations is a, a really big key and a motivator to unlock uh, a, certainly a brighter future. 
Well, James, those are all the questions I have for you for today. Is there anything you want to add before I let you go? Oh, no. I mean, uh, I, I don't see the end of this interview as having a, a full-on finality, but it was it was an awfully great pleasure to have been involved. It, I'm someone who processes things through talking through them, so arguably uh, asking questions is one of the best things possible and for myself and my own development and um, keep asking questions because if you ask someone a question, you might learn something and they might learn something too because if they don't know the answer, they'll go look into it. And if the answer doesn't exist, that motivates people to go and do some research. So asking questions is one of the best things you can do in my opinion. So you you have just spent the past <laughs> however long it's been at least an hour now asking questions. So uh, I appreciate the time and I really enjoyed having this conversation with you. So thank you. Well, thank you for your time. And yeah, it's my pleasure. Your experience and your stories and your, your optimism. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a trait that I can say I have as a young man. Hopefully uh, it doesn't fail me, but uh, I'm already seeing some people who uh, have, optimistic ideas about the future who are non-traditionally viewed as people who would be involved. And I'm excited to learn from them and have, have their perspectives be involved and integrated to this lovely thing of science that we call geology. Thanks, James. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to On Earth. On Earth is hosted by me and produced by myself Kirsten Hodge, our editor Sarah Robertson, and Ollie Beattie designed our logo. On Earth is made possible thanks to the generous support of the Department of Earth, Ocean, and Atmospheric Sciences here at the University of British Columbia. For more episodes like this one, please visit our website at pme.ubc.ca slash learn slash podcast or listen in on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. And see you next week here on Earth.